Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we are talking about your 13 and 7 Detroit Pistons. Uh, ben, Steve Henson, and I talk about Stanley Johnson's improved play off the bench, the impact Dwayne Casey has had on this team's temperament, we uh, take a moment to celebrate the win over the Golden State Warriors, and then Ben and I update Steve on what he's missed in the last month of Pistons basketball. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. It's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what y'all are talking about. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which is something you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. I am pleased today to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing? Welcome back, everybody. Doing good. Happy holidays to everyone. Uh, A little bit belated, but happy Thanksgiving. Uh, Doing good. Glad to be back and and glad that the Pistons are 13 and 7 and, and playing really well. This ought to be a fun podcast. Yeah, and I think it'll be fun because we have another guest on the pod, uh, DBB's own Steve Henson, back from vacation. Uh, how's it going, Steve? Doing well, doing well. It's nice to be back. Uh, it's it's good to have you back on the editing side, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's uh, it's been kind of funny. I've been traveling for pretty much the past month, and so it's uh, it's been interesting catching up on... Uh, on the Pistons and everything that's been going on. And uh, yeah, good job to all of the staff for keeping the site above water while I've been away. (laughs) So yeah, above water is definitely how it felt at times, but (laughs) neither here nor there. We're glad to have you back. Uh, Let's get you up to speed. Like Ben mentioned, the Pistons are 13 and seven this week. They beat the New York Knicks, the Chicago Bulls and the Golden State Warriors. Uh, Golden State's obviously the biggest win. But it felt very strange. It felt a lot. Uh, I was trying to like rack my brain of a better way to refer to it, but it felt easier than the Houston game or the Toronto game, where uh, the Pistons, you know, engineered a comeback in both of those games. Uh, the Pistons really, uh, the bench unit took the lead in the second quarter, and the Warriors just never did their third quarter explosion. We did not see the. Uh, explosive Warriors offense that I think a lot of us have been used to over the last couple of years uh, appear in uh, Little Caesars Arena. Um, so obviously with uh, wins over Toronto and the Warriors, uh, Steve, does this change your level of expectations for the Pistons from what you had at the beginning of the year? Not really so much yet. Um, you know, when I'm looking at the schedule right now and comparing it to last year, and it is pretty much the uh, the same spot. Um, last, uh, last night was definitely an impressive win. I, you know, it was one I've, I've, uh, been able to catch all three of the games this week. So, uh, you know, it's kind of getting back in that regular flow of things, but, um, it, they handled it 
pretty easily. So the Warriors just, uh, they didn't look like their usual dominant selves. But, I mean, there's still so, so much uh, in store for the schedule that, um, you know, they could easily be winding up back at 500, and it'd be hard to be angry about that. Ben, uh, ben did, uh, did, has this week changed anything on your end? Yeah, I mean, it hasn't really changed a whole lot. Um, the Pistons are roughly who kind of I thought they would be through 20 games. Um, crazy to think that we're 20 games in already. Time is absolutely flying this year. But, you know, the Pistons are about a two and a half point plus on the net rating. It depends on if you're looking at basketball reference or NBA.com. That's good for about 10th in the NBA. And that would be like an expected 12 and eight in terms of wins and losses. So uh, right now they're pretty good. Um, the downside to that is they've had the easiest schedule in the NBA, at least if you're looking at ESPN.com's numbers, um, which obviously has played in their favor. The good thing is that they've, they've done some good things over that first 20 games. They're, they're fifth in the NBA in rebounding. They're seventh in D rating, which after a slow start defensively is encouraging. They've really managed to figure certain things out defensively. And Laz, as you and I have talked about over and over again over the last several weeks, they finally cracked the top half of the NBA in terms of their offensive rating. They've jumped up to number 13. So, you know, really they're kind of who I thought they'd be in terms of wins and losses, you know, how they've gotten there in terms of their rotations, in terms of the offensive schemes. That's been a little surprising, but the results are are really kind of where I thought they would be. So, the way in which they've jumped up into the top half of the NBA in offense has really just been uh, guys in the rotation who weren't making shots before are, are making shots now, right? Reggie Bullock shot 40% from three for the month of November. Langston Galloway shot 40% from three for the month of November. Um, you know, Stanley Johnson has been moved to the bench and uh, unleashed offensively. And I assume we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit in the future. But uh, it's the thing that gets me is that nothing really looks like it's it, this doesn't feel like last year where Andre Drummond was all of a sudden like operating as the hub of the offense. All of a sudden, like we were getting five assists and nights from Andre. And we're like, where is this coming from? Like, this is what we imagined the team would be around Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond. You'd give Blake Griffin the ball a bunch. He'd hit open shooters. The shooters would make the shots and they would be like. Uh, not a great offensive team, but a good offensive team. And that's really all that's necessary to win when you can defend uh, the way they've been doing so far. And so uh, my expectations are tempered a little bit by the schedule. I think the schedule, the schedule looks a lot easier than I think it actually was. Um, Philly has not played to expectations so far this season. Boston has not played to expectations so far this season. Houston has not played to expectations so far this season. And so like, yes, they have played and won a bunch of games against teams that they were supposed to beat, which is good. And I would rather have them do that than lose those games. But uh, I think some of those upper echelon Eastern conference teams are still kind of finding their way. And so the Pistons schedule uh, looks a little bit less impressive than uh, it might've at the beginning of the year. Uh, With that said, I think we're going to do something a little bit different this podcast because Steve was on vacation, because Steve has been gone uh, away from basketball for about a month, Steve wanted to uh, come on and ask me and Ben some questions about like what he missed while he was, you know, uh, off, you know, finding himself <laughs> in the mountains. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of a funny situation where you um, 
you think about like just having missed an entire month of basketball and uh, like what happens if you're just living under a rock and all you've got is box scores and Twitter uh, and, and DBB to uh, be able to fill, to keep up with things. So catch me up, guys. Oh, yeah. So so my first question was kind of like what we've already talked about a little bit. But, um, you know, with the Pistons being in the four seed in the East right now and um, right in the middle of the pack in the East, uh, what level of confidence do you have that they'll be able to survive this brutal win this December, the schedule they've got coming up? And um, is this legitimate? Are they a legitimate contender for the top half of the Eastern Conference? Ben, I'll let you take that one first. Yeah, so I mentioned they had the easiest schedule in the league per ESPN so far. It, it will be interesting to look back at that in hindsight after 82 games have been played because I think that uh, with the benefit of hindsight, that schedule will look a little bit tougher than it does at the moment. But all of that said, December is going to be interesting. I mean, OKC, Philly twice, Milwaukee twice, um, Boston Indiana and a surprising Orlando team, um, and then Milwaukee again on the 1st of, of January. Man, that is a, a tough, tough schedule. So um, I do expect them to to give a little bit of ground in terms of the win, win-loss record. Um, I I don't think they're going to be, what are they, six games over a 500 right now. I would be shocked if that's where they end up a month from now, right, as we're talking about this after the end of the the New Year's celebration, all that kind of stuff. What will be interesting to see, however, is if a couple of the recent trends continue. So from my perspective, um, Reggie Jackson has put together a couple good basketball games after being uh, pretty cold for, for significant strengths. Stanley Johnson off the bench looks like it's almost resurrected his career. Don't want to be overdramatic, but frankly, that's how it feels to me. Langston Galloway coming alive like he has not done since he's been wearing a Pistons jersey. Those are the things that, in spite of the win-loss record, I think I'll be paying attention to. Eventually, we're going to get Luke Kennard back as well. So, uh, you know, just to temper expectations for people right now, I think December is going to be tough. I think we could lose a few because there's some really good teams we have to deal with over the next 30 days. Um, But beyond just the wins and losses, what are those guys who who I just mentioned going to be able to do in the midst of that? And how is this team going to come together in the face of, what could potentially be a little bit of adversity. And then also how is Dwayne Casey going to handle that? Um, I wasn't the biggest fan of how Van Gundy handled that over the last four seasons. Dwayne Casey, I think has a different temperament and a different approach. Those are the things I'm going to be focused on over the month of December. So when I look at the, the, where the Pistons are in the Eastern conference standings right now, they're fourth Uh, Indiana right now is fifth at 13 and 10. Uh, Boston is also 13 and 10 Charlotte and Charlotte's at 500 Orlando's one game under 500. And then there's like a cliff. Washington is the next team in the East and they're five games under 500. Miami is also five games under 500. And so I think that even if the Pistons do have their expected fall throughout this tougher schedule, there is a good uh, chunk of, uh, of games between them and like the bottom of the rest of the Eastern conference. And so I would expect them to, even if they have some difficulty throughout uh, the, the next couple of weeks, I would still, I would still expect them to be like around in the playoff picture. Um, and when the schedule turns in late December and early January, um, provided everyone's healthy, provided they are still playing the way that uh, they've been playing. I think that they'll be able to kind of make up a little bit of the ground that they've lost 
and still remain somewhere. I don't think they'll be as high as fourth, but I think they'll be somewhere in the uh, five, six, seven range in the conference. Uh, you know, and that's not to say that Washington and Miami and Brooklyn can't play any better or that those teams can't uh, make changes to their roster to to influence the way the Eastern Conference shapes up in that way. But uh, if, you know, I don't think Detroit is looking to do anything like that. And so if you look at the teams, I guess, surrounding the Pistons, um, it's it's still set up for them to, uh, you know, fall gently instead of kind of falling harshly like they did last year. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, well, so uh, a big reason it, it seems behind uh, a lot of the success they've had for the past month has been uh, the play of Andre Drummond. Um, I know you guys talked last week with Mike Snyder um, about uh, Andre Drummond's per- performance. And, you know, for the season numbers, it's still, you, you know me, I'm uh, going to be, harsh but i hope fair uh when it comes to dre but uh for the season he's still only at 53 percent true shooting percentage which um isn't enough but his uh play in november looks like it was legitimately great excellent um he uh was it looks like he's been scoring the ball a lot scoring it efficiently and doing his uh his typical great work on the boards and uh also really making an impact on the defensive side of the ball um, for November, his uh, numbers were 18.6 points per game, 16 uh, rebounds per game. His true shooting percentage ended up at 54%, but for most of the, the month, it, you know, it was a couple of games toward the end of the month that dropped it down. For most of the month, he was up around 56 or uh, 57% uh, for true shooting percentage. So what's been really driving um, Andre Drummond's per- uh, improved performance and is this something that's going to stick around so i think the thing that i when i see andre's performance over the last month i think he's been more aggressive offensively but i think that aggression has also been uh, tempered with better shot selection um you'd see before he would uh, if he'd get the ball in the post he'd uh, kind of take his time back up and shoot like those fading hooks. Mm-hmm. Now he's beginning to uh, get his body into guys, create space and attack and attack defenders that way. He's uh, he's still not relishing contact in a way I think we would like him to, but uh, he's, he's been willing to be more aggressive and uh, like when he gets the ball in the post and like that's keyed a lot of offensive improvement for him. I think uh, defensively, I think it's just, he's gotten more comfortable in Dwayne Casey's uh, scheme. Uh, with the drop coverage. And this is something I talked about last week with Mike. Um, it's just familiar familiarity with the scheme. Um, I think he's starting to understand that uh, he doesn't have, he has to, he has to be the brains behind the operation, but he still has to like trust his teammates to, to help and recover. He still has to help, trust the, you know, if he's, if he's hard hedging on guys that uh, Blake is going to be behind him getting rebounds and they're going to be eliminating extra possessions that way. And so, I think that um, I don't know if I fully expect Andre to keep up this scoring pace. Um, his usage, I think, is at a career high, like near hovering near twenty five percent right now. Um, if I think like you, Steve, I would like to see his true shooting percentage be a little bit higher for him to earn that much usage. But at the same time, um, it's it's a good thing that uh, someone else 
besides Blake Griffin is, is absorbing like a decent chunk of the offense, I think long-term for the Pistons as well. And so, yeah, Andre has been more aggressive offensively and more comfortable defensively. And that's made for a, a more complete player. One of the things that you mentioned there um, was uh, something that stuck out for me for the few um, few games that I've watched so far. Uh, some You mentioned that Andre hasn't been taking uh, as many of those kind of wild shots out of post-ups uh, where, you know, he just kind of uh, be doing a low percentage jump hook from eight feet away. Those were not very effective shots for him. And it seems like he is actually using some footwork in the post that even when he is initiating his own scoring opportunities, uh, that he's actually able to um, to turn it into layups and dunks rather than just uh, floating, <laughs> you know, flinging the ball at the basket over his shoulder uh, the way he has in the past. Um, has that been something that has actually been a trend uh, that he's been improving on or have I just seen a couple of um, a couple of small examples no that's definitely something he's taken the time to improve on Um, that's definitely something I think that the coaching staff has emphasized uh, with guys around him as well you see a lot more um, Andre getting ahead if he's not getting the rebound and Blake's pushing the ball he's trying to get ahead of the defense and get established early position and have guys like give the ball to him uh, early in the shot clock where he and he can score in that way as well and so like that's what I mean by aggressive right he's he's got clearly defined spots uh, in which he can he is uh, empowered to score offensively and the Pistons are empowered to like give him the ball in those spots and so he knows exactly like what he's supposed to be doing on offense and that does not include like belching up 12 foot <laughs> hook shots for the most part yeah belching is the right word for that so, um, so Stanley Johnson off the bench. Uh, who's this guy? I mean, what? No, I, that's all Ben. I got, I got nothing. <laughs> what, what happened? What, what's going on? Uh, so I'm just going to go out and go ahead and say it. I'm skeptical. Um, I'm not a hundred percent convinced that what we're seeing from Stanley Johnson right now isn't just a little bit of randomness and luck. Um, when you really dig deep into the numbers he's had sort of a hot shooting streak. So he's been shooting a three ball really well since he's been coming off the bench. Um, And look, I don't think there's anything magical about putting a guy on the bench and Mm -hmm. his shooting just improving, right? Like, I mean, the other night against golden state, he airballed a three. I mean, it's still, he's not a great shooter. He's just had the ball go through the hoop a little bit from deep Um, on the upside. What, what I will say, I think is potentially sustainable, when he is in the second unit, the pressure for him to stand there and shoot threes and stand there and provide space for Blake Griffin isn't there in the same way. And so I think, you know, what, what Lass has talked about this season is Stanley being at his best when he's playing downhill. And I, I think that is 100% correct. And I think in the second unit, he has the ability and the, uh, the opportunity really to do that a little bit more. This is bared out in the numbers. If you look at, um, sort of his field goal percentage at the rim, as well as the number of shot attempts he's getting at the rim over the past five to 10 games. Um, what you'll see is that those numbers are up relative to his career numbers. And I, I think if you watch the film, you'll see that in the second unit, there are more opportunities for him to get to the basket. And I think ultimately that's, that's the piece of this that is potentially sustainable. I do expect that three point shooting to dip a little bit Um but, but I think if he can continue to get to the basket and score at the rim, 
then he has the potential to carve out a, a really nice role. And I think as, as Laz and I have been talking about everyone who's been listening this season, sixth, seventh man feels like a really good role mm-hmm. for Stanley right now. Uh, his defense has continued to be very good, which has been throughout his entire career. Uh, but I think taking the pressure off of him in terms of him being a floor spacer and needing to knock down three pointers in order to give Blake Griffin space, that goes away when he's in the second unit. And I think that's a very good thing for him and for his confidence. Uh, and you can check out Laz's Twitter feed for some uh, pretty fantastic Stanley <laughs> Johnson pictures uh, with respect to a coach believing in him and uh, what that might do to I Stanley's today, Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, in regards to Stanley getting to the rim more, <clears throat> um, it seems like as he's been coming off the bench, he's been playing a bit more power forward than he ever has before. Do you think that there's um, anything related there that he, that that might be opening up some chances for him to uh, put the ball on the floor and get to the rim? I think, I mean, I think, Oh, go ahead. Oh no, sorry. I I think some of that you can attribute to uh, playing power forward with the bench units, but because most of his uh, shot attempts at the rim feel like they come in transition or like semi transition, I don't think you can attribute uh, a lot of that to like uh, the space you would expect, like him being flanked by shooters on the on the second unit or whatever. Um, I would he's played a like non trivial amount of uh, power forward minutes, like next to like Bruce Brown and Ish Smith, and so like there isn't as much space on the floor as you would expect, perhaps uh, with Stanley at four. But um, I think that. Uh, Playing power forward also enables him to – it frees him up to attack the glass and kind of grab and go mm-hmm. and transition more effectively. And, like, that is what's keying a lot of his confidence and his uh, his aggression on that end. Sorry, Ben, I didn't mean to interrupt you. What were you going to say? No, I was going to say basically the same thing. I was going to mention kind of the secondary break. So, you know, maybe Ish pushes the ball and sec- the pass goes to Stanley and he's able to get to the basket before the defense is set. I think your point about grabbing the ball and going is also very good. So, yeah, I mean, I would agree. I think the the second unit with Ish at the helm is kind of predisposed to transition, and I think that's good for Stanley. I think in terms of his offensive skill set, that's the best-case scenario for him, and he's taken advantage of it. Great, great. Um, yeah, we'll uh, see how that continues to progress. On the uh, less bright side of things, um, Reggie Jackson's had a couple of decent, uh, well, really good games here lately. Um, so uh, that certainly boosted his numbers a bit. But especially when I got back um, into the country, um, you know, it was uh, three or four games ago. And uh, the point guard situation was looking pretty dour. Um, is that looking like the team's weak link right now? So <laughs> the point guard has been a roller coaster because Ishmael started the season sort of playing and shooting out of his mind. Um, he, he was shooting up well above 40% from deep at certain points in the season. And now it's sort of settled down a little bit and he's better than he's been throughout his career, but still not very good. Reggie has sort of followed a little bit of an opposite trajectory and that he's tended to play well um, over the last handful of games where Ish has been struggling. I wouldn't say that point guard is the wink link, but, um, you know, Reggie Jackson is, is not the player he was when we first acquired him. I don't know how much of that is injury. Um, I, and I don't know how much of that is scheme. When Reggie has gotten the ball in his hands with confidence, 
over the last handful of games, he's been effective. We've seen sort of that killer Reggie uh, in spurts. We saw a little bit of it against Golden State. He had a couple nice drives to the basket late. Um, the challenge is he's just been off the ball mm-hmm. so, so much. And uh, early in the season, he shot the ball well. Um, kind of in the middle of the 20-game stretch that we've seen so far, he really struggled shooting the ball. And then the last couple games, he had a couple nice games shooting the ball. I wouldn't say that point guard is the weakest link, um, but I would say it's it's kind of the roller coaster position. Um, that and small forward, those are the two the two big question marks. When those positions are producing, the Pistons are tough to stop. Uh, when they're not producing, whether that's scheme, whether that's injuries, whether that's rotation, um, the Pistons are are actually pretty easy to stop because then it's just Blake Griffin and only Blake Griffin. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's some challenges there. I think there's certain resources we have that can make it better than it's been at times. Um, but it isn't a position of strength necessarily, uh, given the way Dwayne Casey has sort of, sh- hmm. uh, shaped the offense yeah. so far. I will say that the, the, there's one thing that I've noticed with Reggie is that, uh, Casey is no longer playing him like alongside Ish Smith nearly as much. Mm. Yeah. That's yeah, a and point. I think that that more clearly defines what his role is for this team. When he's playing next to Ish, he's operating like as a spot up, mainly like as a spot up shooter without the ball in his hands. Um, Because you were playing, you were seeing like Ish, Blake, Reggie, like that was the order of like who had the ball in their hands. Blake, Ish, Reggie, I'm sorry. Like who had the ball in their hands the most. Um, Now that uh, Casey has kind of split the two guys up, um, Reggie is back to being like the secondary uh, ball handler for this team like whenever he's on the floor and he gets to like attack closeouts and uh, run pick and rolls with Blake or try and get the try and attack mismatches that uh, Blake engineers and so I think that has keyed a lot of uh, the progression you've seen from Reggie over the last couple games I mean don't get me wrong he still shot like 16 three-pointers against Phoenix and like that was no one's idea of a of an efficient offense but uh, I think overall, just uh, splitting him with Ish has been beneficial to both of I've them. I've got to watch that game. I've got to see Reggie Jackson take 16 three-pointers in a game. <laughs> Sounds unreal. It, it didn't, <laughs> the weirdest thing was it didn't feel like 16 three-pointers. It felt like, it felt like 10, but all of, like, basically all of them were, like, off of Blake post-ups, where Phoenix was just doubling with Reggie's guy. It's like, okay, like, they're all, most of them were good shots. He just... Took oh sixteen God. of them. That's, that's like a video <laughs> game type of number. That's uh, that's absurd. <laughs> um, so, uh, so moving on. Um, do do we all like Langston Galloway now, or do we all still hate him? I mean, what's uh, what's the deal with him? He's shooting. Yeah, I'll take it. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, he's he's shooting forty percent from three in November. So we <laughs> like Langston Galloway. That's pretty much it. Yeah, I mean, 99 of his 141 attempts of the season are from three, so that's more than yeah. two-thirds of his shots, right? So when they go in, he looks great. When they don't go in, he doesn't look so good. Um, as long as they're going in, I, I hope he continues to play. I'm anxious for Kennard to get back. I think he adds a little bit of complexity to the offense because his skill set's a little bit different in terms of him moving without the ball. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as long as, as Langston is shooting well, then – 
We love him. When everybody was wanting to trade him for pretty much peanuts over the offseason, um, I've always thought that Langton Galloway is kind of like an Anthony Tolliver type of player at shooting guard, you know? He's small for his position, like Tolliver was, um, you know, kind of that tweener type of role where, uh, but quick trigger from uh, three kind of annoying defensively um and so he always just kind of reminded me of a shooting guard version of Tolliver that if we all loved Anthony Tolliver so if Langton Galloway would just get on the court that he would kind of endear himself to fans um so I was wondering if that kind of happened at all yet I don't think so I think fans are are still kind of hoping that uh Luke takes over the shooting guard position long term and that uh I don't think I think that uh him shooting the ball better has uh increased like the quality of peanuts fans are willing to accept for him but i think most fans would still be willing yeah. to trade him yeah got you well <laughs> and speaking of shooting guard minutes why is bruce brown playing so much what, what is good about him as a prospect i mean i i do not get it i i get that he might be pretty good defensively but he has a 41 percent true shooting percentage he was a 48 percent true shooting percentage player last year at miami don't didn't we hire like the smartest analytics guy in the league uh, like can't we tell someone in on the team that that really sucks so casey loves the fact that bruce brown uh is a lot like Avery Bradley defensively. Uh, he he does a great job of like getting into guys' bodies. Um, he does a good job of uh, like shot contests. Uh, you saw this, I think, uh, during the Houston the the Houston game that they won. He did a he did about as good a job as you can do on on James Harden. And so like stuff like that is why you see him play. But yeah, you're right. He is definitely a a net negative player as long as he's on the court. And I am eager for Luke Kennard to swallow all of his minutes. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I know that there's some uh, some folks on DBB who are big Bruce Brown fans and uh, kind of see a lot of potential there. I just don't see where the appeal for him as a prospect is. But the defense. It looks it looks NBA level, but that seems to be the only part of his game, as far as I can tell. So, so I think the other thing that's kind of interesting is uh, when like a lot of people also see that Bruce Brown is like not a good offensive player, and Kyrie Thomas has been tearing up the G League. I think at one point he was shooting like forty eight percent from three or something in uh, not insignificant minutes in the G League, and he is uh, he's a little bit smaller than Brown, but like ostensibly supposed to be. Uh, a similar type of defender and so uh, people were interested in seeing like what he had to offer um, because it looks like he can uh, do some of the sim some similar things as brown defensively and like also hit like an open yeah. corner three and so you'll see like a little bit of Kyrie thomas hive um out and about in the comments occasionally and uh, I, I'm curious to see how that would go in long-term yeah. minutes as yeah, well. Yeah, I think I'll be joining that that hive. <laughs> uh, I've got Kyrie Thomas's uh, G League stats open, and he's shooting 50% from the field, 44% from three, 95% from the free throw line. Uh, his true shooting percentage is 63.6%. Um, it just seems like he would be a much better use of those minutes than uh, Bruce Brown. Yeah, he's basically the new Stanley Johnson, right? Like. 
he plays really well defensively. He has a very limited of offensive game and uh, coaches seem to love that for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, Ben, you're the analytics guy. I mean, isn't that the reason why we brought in analytics, uh, some of the smartest analytics guys in the league and to uh, be able to say, huh. well, uh, kind of leads me into my next point. Um, right now, the Pistons are 25th in the league in true shooting percentage. Uh, they are, as you guys mentioned, they the uh, offensive rating is at about a league average point at this at this spot. But it's almost entirely due to um, you know the Pistons doing very well at uh, offensive rebounding and limiting turnovers. So they're basically able to just generate that much more possessions that they can overcome their absolutely lousy shooting. Um, which has been the case all the way through the Stan Van Gundy years too. You know, if you look at this offensive profile um, and the um, and the way that the defenses worked, you know, just being kind of a um, top ten defense but not elite, uh, it's all the metrics all look pretty much the same. And so it makes me wonder: um, has anything really changed uh, with changing coaches to Dwayne Casey? I think the thing that you can immediately point to that's different under Dwayne Casey is the confidence level of some of the individuals on the roster. Uh, Stanley Johnson is a much more confident uh, offensive player under Dwayne Casey than he was under Stan Van Gundy. Langston Galloway is a much more confident offensive player uh, than he was under Stan Van Gundy. Uh, Andre Drummond's uh, defensive progression is, has been like steadily increasing upward. And I think that, uh, Getting him to take, getting him to continue that that steady progression, uh, you can attribute some of that to Dwayne Casey. Um, the the offense is the offense is definitely different. The Pistons are still attempting a lot of threes. None of them are go, or they're not going in, but they're attempting a lot of threes, and that's something that you know I don't think we would see under uh, year five of Stan Van Gundy, um, and uh, he's done. Uh, oh, Casey can also like draw up and out of bounds play. That's been a that's been a big thing that has come up in uh, been into play a couple times. Uh, Toronto most uh, most notably, so I think that matters as well. But um, I think this is it is kind of an interesting study in like how uh, limited how limited a roster uh, that Stan Van Gundy like builds that like any other coach what any other coach could do with it. I don't think we're seeing like anything vastly different than what Stan Van Gundy would be doing. But I think because of the coaching change um, that has increased the, the buy-in from some guys and that has made a little bit of difference on that end. Yeah. I co-sign on that 100%. I think the other thing I would add is that, you know, a year ago at this time, the Pistons were basically the same in terms of win loss. And then the Blake Griffin trade happened. Right. And, it was sort of an identity crisis on offense. I think what Casey has done is established that at least in, on the offensive side of the court, like this is Blake Griffin's team. And uh, he, he's tapping into things in Blake's game uh, that I don't think necessarily Stan Van Gundy did. Now, maybe that was just a function of having an offseason and a training camp and whatever. Um, but it's really Blake Griffin's offense. And, and the team really lives and dies with Blake. Um, for better and worse, uh, and I think uh, the results at the end of the 82 games, we don't know if they're going to be yet, um, 
but it's really Blake's team. And I think Casey has definitely established that. And as Laz mentioned, I think you've seen a lot of positive buy-in. I think people are on board with that. Even the guys like Reggie Jackson, who maybe you would have thought coming into the season would have been skeptical or maybe would have struggled to buy in. Everyone's on board. Uh, and, and I think linking back to our conversation about Andre Drummond earlier, the thing I've liked about Andre over the past handful of games is he's really embraced the fact that it's Blake's team offensively. And if you look at the, if you look at the numbers over the, the last month, in the month of November, you see an uptick in his offensive rebounding. He's, he seems to have really embraced the role that the way that I'm going to contribute is by being the best offensive rebounder on the planet because when I do, I'm going to get a putback or I'm going to get fouled or I'm going to give my team another opportunity to score. Um, and I think all of that comes from the fact that Casey has established, look, Blake Griffin is one of the most offensively talented players in the Eastern Conference, uh, and we're going to look to utilize those skill sets. And, and everyone else is going to sort of um, sort of come around that and, and use their skills to build off of Blake game, uh, Blake's game. And I, I think Laz mentioned that the amount of three-point shooter, uh, three-point attempts that have happened, uh, it, it's absolutely Blake's team. And that starts with Dwayne Casey. You mentioned Andre Drummond's uh, offensive rebounding. I mean, that's definitely been one of the things that stuck out to me. He is averaging 6.4 offensive rebounds per game. That is absolutely absurd. Yeah, and in the Golden State game, I think it was 11 offensive rebounds that he had. That is just absolutely incredible. And I actually had the Golden State feed for that game. And just listening to... Uh, those commentators get a little bit saltier, right, as the Pistons got closer to winning. The thing they kept harping on was how difficult it was for Golden State to keep Andre Drummond off the offensive class. So I think the more he can buy into that, the, the higher his ceiling gets. Because as Laz mentioned, his post game, I mean, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. It's not strong. Um, but when he's able to crash the offensive glass, I mean, if he gets the ball two feet from the rim, there's not a lot you can do about it. So uh, I've been excited to see that. I've been talking about it incessantly over the last couple of years. I really hope it continues. If if he does continue rebounding at this rate, it will be the fifth best, um, the fifth highest offensive rebounds per game in NBA history. Uh, only looking up to Moses Malone and that one really weird year from Jason Williams. You remember him? That's incredible. That's incredible. Wait, like Brooklyn yeah. Nets, Jason Williams? New, back when they were in New Jersey. Oh, okay. yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. of course. Random old player. <laughs> yeah, they're still in New Jersey in my mind as uh, I have continued to screw up over the course of the last season. All right, so uh, for catching back up on the Pistons, uh, what are the top three games I should prioritize? So I would watch the... You've already seen the Golden State win, so we can eliminate that one. I would rewatch the Miami loss, which was an overtime loss, but that was a that was a very thrilling game, and I think you got to see a uh, an, an establishment of what makes Reggie Jackson important to the team in that game. I believe that was also the first game with the new starting lineup, uh, and so like that game, I think matters a lot for uh, viewing forward uh, what this team looks like. So I look at the Miami loss, the Toronto win. That was just a very, uh, very entertaining game and a, a great one. And the and the win against Houston. Uh, the loss against Houston looks a lot closer than it actually was because Blake went off in the fourth quarter. 
Um, but they needed that to in order to make it a game, and it, it actually wasn't that close. Oh wow, that's surprising. They uh, they shot forty seven percent from three on that game. I would expect it to uh, have been a little more competitive. Blake went like five for five from three in the last three minutes of the game. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it totally depends on um, what do you want to walk away from? Like, how do you want to feel after you watch those games? So for me, like, if you want rainbows and unicorns, you watch the Raptors win, you watch the Rockets win. And I included the Warriors win, even though I'm realizing now that you actually saw the game in person. Um, But I think those three games, you have some of the best Pistons moments. I mean, um, three of the best teams in the NBA and the Pistons beat all three of them. Right. So uh, three highlights of the season in those three games for sure. I will say the the complete opposite of this game is the Chicago win that just happened like two days ago. Like I have zero recollection of what happened in that game. And I watched all of it. <laughs> that That is so funny, Laz, because I was thinking the exact same thing <laughs> as we were prepping for the podcast. I think I blanked that one out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was able to watch that one. And I mean, the only takeaways from it were that Justin Holiday still continues to lead that team in minutes. How does this keep happening? Uh, what, what are they doing over there? And like, man, Cameron Payne is really bad at basketball. <laughs> oh, and Wendell Carter Jr. is good. I remember that. Wendell, yeah, he was, he was solid. He's good. But yeah, Chicago is just like a black hole where like games go to expire. <laughs> yeah, that was not the most entertaining game. Um, so a few quick uh, around the NBA questions uh, to uh, kind of bring it on home. Who do you guys have as your top three MVP candidates right now? Hmm. Ben, you uh, you take this one first. I need to think for a sec. All right. So, like, I'm not super invested in MVP generally, um, but I'll throw some names out there, even though it's like, you know, only a quarter of the way through the season. Um Giannis has been amazing. Uh, he he's just a, he's the freak for a reason, right? That's what they call him. He's fantastic. Um, I expect the Warriors to surge now that Curry is healthy again. Um, so Curry slash Durant, like one of those two guys, is going to be in the conversation. Maybe both of them will. Curry was just playing incredible basketball before he got hurt, uh, and his first game back was the Pistons, and we sort of saw a tremendous amount of rust. I think his carelessness with the ball was actually a key part of why the Pistons were able to win. Um, Kawhi and Toronto, I mean, they are absolutely playing incredible basketball right now, uh, and he's their best player by quite a bit. Um, Lowry's doing good things as well, but if the Raptors continue to win, I think it's hard to make an argument against Kawhi. And then sort of the dark horses, like um, Denver and Philly. So these are two teams who super young, super volatile. Um, but Jokic, am I saying that right? Like there's videos about how to mispronounce this one, right? Like I haven't watched a full game from start to finish of him yet, but the highlights that I see from him, he looks like Dirk 2.0 and not like 1.5, like 2.0. I mean, he just looks incredibly talented. And uh, if Philly surges the way that they did at the end of last season, like Embiid is going to be in the conversation and Simmons might be ridiculous to even mention, but it wouldn't surprise me if he catches a vote or two. So um, that conversation, although I'm typically not super interested in 
this year there's names in that conversation, and I think rightfully so, who are not the norm. Like LeBron is not in the conversation right now, right? Like Harden is not in the conversation right now because Houston's struggling so much. Um, so there could be potential for some some really interesting players to get votes, even if they don't win it. There might be some guys who get votes because uh, they surprise the rest of the NBA with how well their teams perform. I think that uh, – so Giannis, I think, is a clear number one. The Bucks lead the league in net rating and have generally looked like the uh, one of the best teams in the league. And a lot of that is due to the coaching of Budenholzer uh, emphasizing what Giannis can and cannot do offensively, accentuating his strengths to a point where he looks like a legitimate MVP candidate. Um, ben would not put LeBron in the conversation. I would, despite the fact that uh, he really is uh, only playing on one side of the ball. He is... Uh, unquestionably still elite on that side of the ball and the Lakers as a whole have been much better defensively since they added Tyson Chandler randomly. I, I can't really explain it either, but it's true. Um, and then for the last guy as a, as a name, I'm actually surprised Ben didn't mention since he loves this guy so much. Uh, Kemba is averaging 27 and six right now. And, and the warrior or the warriors the hornets are uh 500 like basically exclusively due to his sheer willpower he had a stretch where he scored like 130 points over three games a couple weeks ago he dropped 60 against the sixers um I, if you're if you're voting if you have a first quarter mvp ballot i think he has to be on it absolutely so this is fun because like it if the season ended tomorrow, like best player on the best team is what so many of the pundits say. Like it would have to be Kawhi, I think. Um, but like think about how good the Clippers are right now, and they don't have a single guy who you'd even want to think about as an MVP. So maybe that's just a function of the fact that we're 20 games in. But I don't know. I, I like it. I, I mean, it's interesting to me that these guys who you wouldn't think of as MVP candidates are just playing fantastic basketball for teams who are really, really good. So uh, it's an interesting thing. It'll be interesting to look back 20 or 30 games from now and see how this plays out. Boban, Boban is hurt by you not thinking that he is MVP worthy. <laughs> you know, I, I will say, though, for the record, before my mic cut out, my name in this podcast was Boban for MVP. So I'm just going to put that on the record for all the people to hear. <laughs> oh, so uh, the thing in the West that's so interesting is that there is so much parity over there, that the difference between, uh, let's see, um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh. The seventh seed is two and a half games out of first place. That is that's really weird. And so what's going, what's going on, uh, especially in the West, are the top teams just kind of underperforming or is there just more parity? So I think you saw, you saw the Lakers and you saw the Lakers come out slow and they've slowly recovered from that. You saw the nuggets and the Clippers start off hot and, uh, have kind of come down a little bit back to earth, but are still kind of floating on, on those early records. Um, you saw the Warriors have been without Steph Curry and Draymond Green for a, you know, 10 plus games. And that is affecting a lot of what's going on throughout the league. Uh, Houston has missed Chris Paul. Chris Paul hasn't played uh, 
for a little bit, and so that's why they're under five or they're at five hundred right now. The Sacramento Kings are are at five hundred, twenty games in, and so I think there are a lot of teams who were expecting the Kings to be like free wins and haven't found that, and that is engineering uh, a lot of parity as well. Um, the Timberwolves obviously traded Jimmy Butler and uh, have since had like a, a bounce from that because their chemistry is no longer terrible. Um, the Grizzlies have had Mark Gasol and Mike Conley on the floor, and they've always been a good team when, when those guys are on the floor. And so I'm, it's not surprising that they are where they are. I don't know. Like a lot of the teams in the West are just really well put together and uh, they have to play each other most of the time. It's, it's going to be difficult to, to see what escapes from the morass uh, at the end of the season. I, I feel confident in saying that like Sacramento and uh, Dallas, despite how good Luca is. Oh, Steve, if you haven't seen Luca, go watch some, go watch some Luka Doncic. That dude is crazy good. Um, the, the jazz are still figuring stuff out offensively. Like they're, there are just a lot of teams who are pretty good to, uh, to great in the conference. Um, once the Warriors find their stride a little bit uh, with Curry back, I think they'll, uh, I think they'll begin to pull away from the pack. Uh, I think Oklahoma City's uh, defense um, will keep them near the top of the conference. I think they're the second best defensive team in the league, off the top of my head. I could actually check that because I have the stats in front of me. No, they're the best defensive team in the league according to NBA.com's defensive rating. And so, like, I think that plays that'll continue to play. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of good teams in the Western Conference. Yeah, I think I, I agree with all of that. I think the thing I would add to it is you've got a lot of young talent in the league right now and some of those teams who are playing well. Milwaukee, obviously, you know, led by Giannis, they're still young. Orlando has been a little bit surprising, even though on their bottom half of the conference, I mean, I did not see Orlando competing for an eighth seed. So the fact that they're in their conversation is interesting. You know, the Clippers, I don't know how good they are. I don't know, you know, three months from now, I would be really surprised to see them where they are. San Antonio, a losing record. Um, Yeah, there's some parity. I mean, in the Western Conference in particular, a lot of things can happen. As you mentioned, there's just a few games separating one to eight and then the bottom of the – anyone in the top ten could make the playoffs in the West, and that seems to be the case. Boston, another team who's sort of inexplicably struggled. Um, I would expect them to figure things out. They've got a fantastic head coach and obviously a whole lot of talent. Um, You know, some of this, I think, is a little bit of volatility and injuries. You've got young players playing really, really well, and you've had uh, some really key players for very good teams who have been hurt. Um, Houston is someone that I'm super interested to watch. I think they lost some key role players in their pursuit of Carmelo Anthony, and they've lost all of that, right? They've lost Melo, that didn't work out, and they've lost the role players. I don't know how well they will ha- they will ultimately bounce back, but, um, you know, for fans, this is a whole lot of fun because you don't know what's going to happen, and that, you know, as a fan, that's, that's what you want. You don't want the best teams to win all the time, right? You want to see the underdog win. Um, so, so it's a lot of fun right now. It's, it's a very interesting season. So tell me, um, last question, um, who a few names around the league who have uh, been catching your eye so far? Uh, definitely. Like I mentioned, Luca, um, 
Jaron Jackson Jr. for Memphis has stepped in and been an impact player right away, which is something I don't think you could have expected, despite the fact uh, how good he looked at Michigan State. Um, who else? Uh, Kyle Lowry, I think is I don't I don't I I think he's still leading the league in assists, and he's just been it's been really interesting to watch him slowly seed control of. Uh, what is I think like supposed to be his team right like he's been there installed there forever and uh, he's a multiple time all-star but like no it's Kawhi's team and like to a lesser extent it's like also like Danny Green has been very big for them and so watching him kind of give up control has been and them still succeed has been really interesting Um, Miami has not been good but Josh Richardson uh, is starting to look like he can be a, a primary offensive creator which I think will be uh, huge for them moving forward. That's a that's a team that's really intriguing. If they continue to suck and get a high draft pick, like that's a team that can be very scary very quickly. Um, yeah, that's uh, those are those are some names that are sticking out to me right now. Uh, also, oh uh, Nikola Vucevic on Orlando, he's been uh, really good this year. Even if it feels just like the ball is going in for him more. He's not, he's shooting more threes, but like other than that, he's never, he's not doing anything he wasn't doing before. The ball is just going in at an insane rate. So, yeah. Yeah. So for me, um, Jokic, I, I mentioned him already. He's fun to watch. Um, Utah is interesting because Donovan Mitchell, I think he's going to be sort of a lightning rod for um, sort of phil- philosophical approaches to basketball. For me, like, he puts up a lot of empty points and there might be some fool's gold there. So that'll be interesting to pay attention to. Um, Embiid and Simmons, they're fascinating to me. The Philadelphia 76ers are, are so much fun to watch. Those two guys jump out as, as the guys in Philly. Uh, Kemba Walker, I didn't mention him in in my MVP race, but man, that dude can play basketball. Uh, And then of course, Giannis, I, I really think he has a legitimate chance at winning the MVP this season. He does everything. Laz mentioned the, the coaching changes and how that's impacting his game. Um, those are the guys to me who are just a joy to watch, and I would encourage Pistons fans to, you know, in a night where the Pistons aren't playing, try to find one of those games because there's some fun basketball happening with those with those players and with those teams. So, so I'll, I'll mention three names just that I've been seeing on paper that I'm interested to uh, catch up with that, um, you know, they're they seem to be playing really well and it's uh kind of a few guys who are like what the hell uh type of guys um demonis sabonis he's his true shooting percentage is it's over 70 percent i think he yeah he's a, he's a stats yeah, right? dream. he's missed like two shots this season or something <laughs> uh and then um do you know who's leading the league in wind chairs per 48 minutes right now ahead of Giannis? no who I, I don't even know how to say his first name. Uh, Montrez is it Montrezl? Montrezl Harrell. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, I've always liked him ever since he was coming out of Louis, uh, Louisville. I love those uh, really high energy big men type of guys, and uh, so seeing him get some legitimate minutes over with the Clippers, it, he certainly seems interesting. Yeah, he's going to make a decent amount of money this offseason i think if that's fair to say even though we probably could just call him kenneth farid right i mean he's pretty much the same player 
Well, no, I mean, I think he's a little bit taller and a little bit longer than Farid, and so that helps. Farid is he's like six nine, and Farid's like six seven. Yeah. So like that that's the difference, right? And I think his arms are a little bit longer. But no, he's been he's been really good and really effective uh, for the Clippers. Yeah, I think he's uh, I think he's still he's coming off the bench though, and yeah. so like that is also part of it. And well, and so the third name I'll mention is a guy who I've been kind of following uh, the past year or two, who um, has just he actually is out rebound out. Uh, he it has a higher offensive rebounding percentage than Andre Drummond. So do you know? Do you guys know who I'm going to say for this one? Is it uh, Ed Davis? Is it Whiteside? Ed. Oh, I have uh, I have not seen a lot of Ed Davis uh, in Brooklyn. I've seen uh, a not insignificant amount of D'Angelo Russell, who has been a very impressive passer every time I've I've watched them. But uh, yeah, they they've invested a lot into Jarrett Allen, yeah. so I mostly see him. But yeah, I wouldn't. It doesn't surprise me. Ed Davis is a very good role player. Uh-huh, yeah, and you you probably saw a lot of him last year with uh, when he was playing with the Blazers, but. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, he seems like one of those guys who um, is just super underrated right now. But also, you know, he was crushing it on the boards last year. But this year, he randomly has gone from always being about a 12 to 14% offensive rebounding percentage to 20.6% offensive rebounding percentage. So I really want to watch some Ed Davis. Uh, I never thought I'd say that. Brooklyn plays with a lot of space and a lot of pace. And so I'm guessing there's uh, and like not a ton of amazing shooters. And so I'm guessing there's a lot of opportunities for him to collect offensive rebounds uh, with a bench lineup in Brooklyn. But that is that is impressive, though. That's crazy. I would not have uh, expected that name to come up. Yeah, it's weird, right? Yeah. So while we're doing trivia, let's talk about the Clippers. Guess who is the worst player on the Clippers, according to Winship? It's Avery Bradley. Avery Bradley. Avery Bradley. Now, best part of this question: Guess who leads the Clippers in wood chairs for forty minutes? Is it Boban? It's Boban. Okay, okay. Of course, it's Boban. Small sample size theater, like it's always been. Team wins the small sample size. Small sample size Hall of Fame. All right, I'm gonna reel it back into Detroit. So uh, the Pistons play Oklahoma City on Monday at Milwaukee on Wednesday, uh, Philly at home on Friday, and uh, New Orleans at home on Sunday. They're currently 13-7. and Uh, Steve, what do you think the uh, record will be the next time Ben and I podcast? That's tough. I mean, that's that's a really – three really very – or four very losable games. I mean, I I think if you – I, I think the most realistic thing is going one and three over that stretch. So that would put him at 14 and 10. Ben, uh, do you agree with Steve? Yeah, I think New Orleans is the game you want to target in that stretch. Um, I mean, ugh. Oklahoma City, like, I'm not sure I believe in them, but my goodness, do they have Russell Westbrook, who is like a nightmare for the Pistons. They don't have anybody who can cover him. So. Yeah, one and three seems completely. See, I fair. think Oklahoma City is the that's the game that stands out to me as a winnable one. OKC, so they have Russell Westbrook, but the rest of their team is uh, they have Paul George, uh, who's been playing pretty well, but not like outstandingly so. Um, especially when like you consider the rest of the teams in the Eastern Conference, but like the way that they win games is defensively, not offensively. 
And so uh, I think the Pistons can, and that's a home game. That's the last game of the six game homestand. I think if that game devolves into a rock fight, uh, the Pistons are, the Pistons are well equipped to, to win that type of game. Um, other than that though. Yeah. It's looking kind of rough. I would hope to get the, the Philly game, but I see right here on my handy dandy sheet that that is a uh, national TV game on ESPN. And so Andre Drummond's going to be trying to drop 40 on Joel Embiid, despite the fact that he's never dropped 40 in his life. And you might get 40 personal fouls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that, that feels like the lossiest of losses. And so I think, yeah, one in one and the Pistons have never been able to do anything against Anthony Davis ever for as long as he's been in the league. And so, yeah, I think one in three as uh, as weird as that sounds, I think that would be a good record uh, for the team this week. I don't know. 14 and 10. That's not bad. That's not bad. Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, one and three sounds terrible, but 14 and 10, that sounds all right. Yeah, yeah just as long as we good. aren't looking at the week after. <laughs> it can get real quick. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's it, we'll talk about that when we <laughs> talk <good>. about that. <laughs> all right, Steve, thank you uh, so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, after your return, you could have just, you know, kept lounging and just enjoyed uh, being back and just absorbed all the basketball you could have, but you chose to talk to us for an hour instead. Uh, we appreciate it. What's the best way for people to talk to you about your travels and uh, basketball and give you maybe some, uh, some people that they've enjoyed watching this season. Uh, Twitter is always the best way to find me for the basketball stuff. It's Shinnons eight S H I N O N S eight. And uh, for, you know, any of my climbing and running stuff, I do a lot on Instagram so that's S Henson seventy two. All right, uh, Ben. What's the uh, best place for people to talk to you about uh, Boban leading the world in per forty eight and Michigan uh, playing in a bowl game against Florida? Well, in terms of Michigan football, I don't know how much I want to talk about it. <laughs> uh, oof, that Ohio State game. I'm still recovering. Um, Michigan basketball, though, we can talk about that on Twitter along with some Pistons at br Golker. All right, and if you want to throw all of my Stanley Johnson takes from the past in my face, the best place to do that would be on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. Unless you're Stanley Johnson because he blocked you. Both. Stanley Johnson himself cannot do that because he's blocked me. I guess he could unblock me, like throw something in my face, and then reblock me, which would be like really embarrassing. Um, Stanley Johnson blocked me too. <laughs> so it's not just me it's, it's not just me not guys. Just you. <laughs> all right uh this has been the detroit bad boys podcast and we will see you guys next week